Uh, let's open our Bible this morning to declare the glory of the Lord. It's important we do that all the time. First Samuel chapter 2, we are going to read from verse 2 and read all the way to verse um, 10. First Samuel chapter 2, from verse 1 to verse 10. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble get on strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings to show and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He leaves the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And he said the word on them. To the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king, and will exalt the horn of his anointed. Amen. amen. I said amen. Amen. Father, as we have come this morning, we have come to receive insight, understanding, and wisdom from you. We have come to drink of the spirit of life. Thank you because we know you have prepared something for us this morning. Therefore, we declare as follows. Mm-hmm. That the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I am being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this. I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His Word. The Word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It's healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I said amen. All right, the Lord is good. Let's take our seats and get ready to study this morning. All right, let's open our Bibles this morning to continue our study on the principles of divine abundance. We are going to start from the book of Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. I just want to use this one to describe something about purpose. We just read about three verses. He said, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Please notice the call of Abraham here, that God said to him to move 
and is going to impart a blessing into him. But what I want us to notice is the purpose of the blessing that God was giving to him. He said, I will bless you and your name will become great. And because of that, you shall be a blessing. That is, the purpose of Abraham being blessed was bigger than Abraham. The purpose was so that Abraham would be a fountain of blessing for other people to drink from. He said, in you, if you look at it, I will bless those who bless you. And anyone who wants to constitute himself into an obstruction to your progress in life, I have to remove. What is the reason? Because my purpose is that in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. See the way I'm paraphrasing that. That is what God was saying to Abraham, to Abraham, was that anyone who wants to obstruct one individual is actually obstructing a multitude. So I will sacrifice him so as to bless a multitude. I hope you're getting my point. Because he said to him, the one who curses you, I will, I will curse. Look at the next line. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, I'm going to emphasize something here. That the purpose of Abraham's blessing was not so that Abraham himself will enjoy something or you know, have an abundance for himself, but so that through him, all the, descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Now, we have been looking at this issue of uh, the laws of working in divine abundance. And we've already established a number of principles there. Remember, we said divine abundance is tied to kingdom switch. That's the first thing we explained. That, you see, you cannot live in the kingdom of the world and expect God to be servicing your ideas. I hope you're getting my point. Like yesterday here, we're studying the scriptures, you know, having our Bible discussion. And I explained, or no, what we explained in this discussion, and one of our points was that, you know, we're talking about hindrance to prayer. Okay? That one of the things that hinder prayer is when you the desires are based on worldliness. There's what they call it, the three things in the world. What are they? The loss of the eyes, the loss of the flesh, and the pride of life. Now, if those three things, any one of those things in the world, they create a prayer point for you, God doesn't answer. Why? He said, friendship with the world is what? Enmity with God. So you cannot come to your enemy to be solving your problems. You get the idea there. You can't come to your enemies to be serving your prayers. So, when we are talking about divine abundance, we have to be careful. Just feel like reminding us of it again before I go to the next thing I want to say today. We have to be careful that we don't allow the world determine for us what our lives are supposed to be. And they will now go back to God to come and solve problems that we have created through interaction with the world. Let's talk about this rich and poor thing again as an example. Be very careful. When people tell you you are rich or you are poor, Jesus has told us by comparing and contrasting two churches in that Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. One church said they were rich. Jesus said they are very poor. That one, everybody knew about their poverty. Jesus said, I think you are rich. And the assessment of the Lord is what is most important in your life. It is not what you think. It's not what the people of the world think. It's what the Lord thinks. I pray for you. It's one of my own personal greatest desires. That I will always see things from above and not from beneath. I hope you're getting my point. It's very important that I see things from above, that you see things from above. That is, your assessment will be based on revelation or divine perspective. It's crucial. 
that your assessment will be based on divine revelation or on divine perspective. That is, if God says you are fine, you know what it means? You are fine. And you have to discipline yourself not to unsettle yourself because of worldly um, comparisons. The world compares you with themselves and therefore you become unsettled. And God has to measure you, you know, up to the worldly standard for you to be satisfied. No, that's not allowed. I hope you're getting my point. God has a purpose for each one of us. And listen, for, you see, once God brings you to this earth, he has packaged something inside you. And that is never for you. You are a conduit of divine blessing for somebody else. Maybe you just go over that again briefly. And your greatest desire in life should be to fully express that which God gave you to go and deliver to this generation. Did you hear what I said? Let me go over that again. Once God is sending you, there is something he has put inside you for you to come and, you know, to go and deliver, to go and accomplish. Like Abraham. Let me talk about Abraham for a moment. Uh, which, which angle do we take it from now? Okay, let's talk about the curse of Noah. All right, which I talk about a lot. Some people don't like it, but do you know what? <laughs> I've thought about that thing again and again and again. And I'm 100% convinced now that I'm very correct. That the interpretation of the, of the Bible that I brought out from there, funny enough, nobody really taught that thing to me. Somebody mentioned something about it when I was younger. But it was when I was studying the book of Genesis, I really understood it. And when you look at today's life, you say there must be something that makes Africa to be the way it is. I hope you're getting my point. There must be. There must be. It cannot be a game of chance. It can't be. It's not in the weather. It's not in the climate. It's a spiritual substance. And I've told you before, I don't like slave um, movies. That's black history, American black history movie. I can't watch them. I don't think I've ever watched anyone fully. Halfway through, okay, the only one I, I think I've enjoyed is um, uh, Django Unchained. I think it's Django Unchained. And that, I, I, you know the reason why. Because that, that slave guy, he deals with the masters. You know, it's just something. I just felt, ha, I felt venge- vengeance is mine, and that kind of thing. Uh-huh. But generally, the real stories, those, I really can't stand them. Okay? You know, somebody told me the other day, I never even thought about it until I heard it, that you go to America, or North America, and a lot of um, portions of uh, South, Southern America, many of those islands, you see a lot of descendants, black descendants, and their descendants. It says, because, it said there was as many slaves taken to, is it um, the Arabian countries and all of that? It said, but those ones had a different culture. The slaves didn't marry. Do you understand my point? They castrated a lot of their slaves. So they don't have descendants. So they kept on taking new slaves. But you go to a place like America, they had children. Now, for your information, those children were born as slaves. So families were separated. In fact, there were no families. Families were easily separated. Those are the things that me, I can't stand. I can't imagine that you take my children away from me because you are broke. And you say you are the master. Anyway, God knows I amazing different people. We will scatter that house. What you will do is kill me, Abby. <laughs> the Lord is good, though. <clears throat> now, where I'm going with the whole thing is that if you know the history of slavery is very painful. It is very painful. That's the meaning of being a servant of servants. When he said, curse be Canaan, a servant of servants will he be. It's a curse. And it was there. Now, where I'm going this morning is this. God had to remove it. He wanted to remove it. He desired to remove it. He said, how will I remove that curse? I need to call somebody. 
And he and I will work together so that as a result of his sacrifices and his obedience to me, an offering, a sacrifice will be made to wipe away the curse that's upon this generation, this whole race of people. It's one of the things that Jesus came to die for. I hope you're getting my point. That the reason why you and I are not slaves today, and nobody can legitimately be held a slave anymore, is because Jesus died. But for Jesus to die, Abraham had to obey the Lord. I hope you're getting my point. So what was important to God was that Abraham's life produced a spiritual climate that drew Jesus down into this earth. See, if God makes a promise, we need to bear it in mind. He has to work out the fulfillment of it. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Yeah, there's a process. See, God made a promise doesn't mean it just happen automatically. What do I mean by that? If he says to Israel, you are going to captivity, that's Judah now, right? Yeah. 70 years, you will come out afterwards. Now, that promise has been made. He and them will have to work together for it to be fulfilled. If nobody does anything about it, 70 years will become 700 years. It is not because his promise failed, though, because spiritually 70 years is not over. I don't know what I are following this morning. It's not like he failed. It's just that if God says 70 years, you know what 70 years means? 70 years means that, okay, let's have you get into university. I say you're going to study a course and it's for four years. Does it mean automatically at the end of four years I give you a certificate as you go home? No, answer me. Does, does that what it means? Rather, what does it mean? It means that four years, all right, first year, I break it into two for you. First semester, the first half, you will study chemistry 101. Uh, something 103, you know, you study some courses and you pass them. Then second semester, I give you another set of courses. Then I keep on, you'll be guarding your, your credits. At the end of four years, I assume that you should have passed all the courses necessary, whether they are core courses, mandatory courses, and electives, but pack enough credits to graduate with, and you must have passed all your core and mandatory courses. So that is the meaning of four years. It's not as if, okay, I've paid school fees, I've registered, and I'll go home and go and be doing bugalo. Do you get my point? At the, at the end of four years, I say, where's my certificate? If four years pass and I don't give you a certificate, will I have failed? Who will have failed? It's the student that failed, not me, not the institution, not the vice chancellor. But he said, but you told me it's a four-year course. I didn't say four years of playing. I meant four years of coming to class, four years of taking tests, taking exams doing your projects, doing your seminars, doing your presentations. But I said four years because I assumed that a, reg- a normal person should complete that in four years. And if you don't finish it in four years, we give you an extension. We give you another year. If you like, come and do it in eight years. Some schools didn't know you have only 50% extra of the time. You must finish in six years. But some, they don't care. Come back. What one university I know, I won't mention their name. Their one is even good for them. Because each year you come back, they charge you the full year session. They that is the the, the fee for the whole year you must pay. Even if you are, you are doing only one course. You are normally in a whole year, you'll have done maybe between uh, 10 and 16 courses. This one, come and do only one, you pay the full year's fee. But the point I'm making is this. That is what is called the fullness of time. The time has to be full. I don't know whether you hear what I said. When we have talked about fullness of time, it's not just that we said 10 years, 10 years over. It means all the events required to be fulfilled in 10 years have now been fulfilled. 
then we have attained the fullness of time. I hope it is clear. So if God says 70 years you'll be in Babylon, don't just go and sleep, go and sleep. Be looking at your time. Ask, what am I supposed to accomplish in 70 years? Every time that God gives us is given for the accomplishment of certain things. And for us, it's really spiritual. I hope you're getting my point. So they need to work together. We have to work with the Lord to bring his promise to fulfillment. So when God said that, when he said to Eve, that your seed will bruise the head of the serpent, work started. Work started. Part of the work is to call Abraham. Abraham had to accomplish. He had to accomplish certain things to fulfill the plan of God. Now, if that Abraham you know failed, another one will have had to be raised. Now, that one may take some time to be raised. And what has dictated the history of mankind is all these delays in raising Abrahams. Bear it in mind. What's the focus there? That you are blessed to be what? A blessing. You are sent to go and accomplish something. Yesterday, my wife was playing uh, uh, Pastor Chris Evans' message. So I heard something that he said. was well, just saying the story of his life again. Then in 1988, now I was young in 88, but I, I mean, I was in university. I remember those days. That he told himself, he's living in this useless country. I said, oh, so people have been complaining about this useless, in quotes, country. I just remember, I said, it's true. And they haven't changed till now. They think there's something unique about their generation. The one that annoys me most are those who are blaming leaders. Yes, those are the ones that annoy me the most. The ones that are still blaming leaders. And I keep on saying, who are the leaders? When I was young, that 88, almost all the leaders are gone now. 88 is nice. How many years? 30-something years, right? Is that not 35 years? Yes, 35. It's been a while. So why are things not different? I've had this argument with people again and again and again and again. See this National Assembly now. They said they are fighting them that each person is getting. Is it 160 million naira worth of SUV? Okay. All the Labour Party people are collecting. None of them have come out to say, no, we will not agree. They are keen up to collect. Now, please, if you are a Labour Party, I'm not angry with you. I'm just trying to say that. When I, I'm arguing that all of them are the same thing. People have been telling me, I say, they are, see, they are all the same thing. <laughs> Nigeria, you see, oh, this is not our message, okay, but let me just gist more. Nigeria doesn't have political parties based on ideologies. If they were different, how do you, how do you jump up and down? Now, I'm not saying they are perfect, okay, but think about America for a moment. How many times do you hear that somebody was in the Democratic Party today? And then, it happens once in a while, but it takes a long process. When this guy was younger, he was a Democrat. Now, his principles in life need to change for him to change parties. Some were liberals when they were young, so they were leaning towards the Democratic Party. As they were getting older, they were getting more mature. They were seeing life from a different perspective. For that reason, they switched over to the Republicans. Because their value system changed. But our own, you lose priorities in this party tomorrow. That's Nigerian democracy. So, there's no leader in Nigeria. We are all the leaders. Yeah, that's what I'm making. It is all of us. In this country, it's all of us. It is all of us. There's no difference. There's no leader out there. Like my friend was saying, when I went for a program last week here, he said, let's use the Nehemiah principle. Everybody, build your portion of the wall. Now, please, I'm trying to emphasize something here, all right? The only thing that can change, let me just talk about this nation, all right, again. The only thing that can change this nation is the revelation of Jesus Christ in the heart of as many people as possible. We don't need 100%. David Posse said we need only 5%. 
But that 5%, we must get it. I hope you're getting my point. Please, let me try and sit on the main thing I'm trying to say. I'm not emphasizing the fact that whatever God wants to do, people must work with him. They must work. Otherwise, what he said will be 70 years will become 700 years. And it will never be accomplished until he raises the necessary persons who will agree to make, listen to this, who will agree to make the necessary sacrifices. Life, I've said it before, is about sacrifices. If you came to this life and you did not know you would have to make a sacrifice or a confused mommy, your life would be prodigal. See, let me say it to you again. If you came to this life and did not realize, or you do not realize, that life is about making sacrifices, that is, you open your eyes, say, this one, will, I will enjoy this one more, but for the sake of something better than my own enjoyment, let me go for the one that will make me suffer. I don't know what you get what I'm saying. That is, you're a young woman. A man will come to marry you, say, I want to marry you. Say, why not? Then, he, you know, every good and nice thing he will bring. Promise is the most fantastic wedding you will ever imagine. And how you are just going to be enjoying life. You know, you just wake up in the morning and be enjoying life. Just be, enjoy, just be enjoying. You will enjoy, your children will enjoy, everybody will enjoy. You're still thinking, eh, this is good though. Then one, one guy like this will also show up. Not promising anything, but he will say, look, if you marry me, we will walk. We will transform this generation. Now, let me make a long story short. You will look and something deep inside your heart will say, wow, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is how I will accomplish for God on this earth. However, see that fantastic wedding? You ain't going to get it. Some young girls are dreaming of honeymoon. For you, it is, um, what's the opposite of honeymoon? What? Okay, let's just say, okay, instead of honey, let's look for, what else can you Bitter, yeah, maybe bitter moon. Okay, let's just put it bitter moon. You're not going anywhere. That is, your, your, your husband will do it like Charles Finney. You know what Charles Finney, is, uh, Charles Finney did to his wife? He finished married on Saturday and traveled on Sunday. Because he had to go and preach somewhere. And he didn't show up for me for the next one month. Did you hear what I said? When I read it, I said, like, okay, is this how this ministry is supposed to be? The man finished marrying and said, look, okay, okay. Well, finished the wedding. Please, I'll be back. And boom, he was gone. Reviver. Now, God will give you that kind of husband. And you will know, you know, some people, will be, this one, there's no pretense. In fact, some of them won't have a loud mouth like me. They will tell you ahead of time. I'm not rich. I'm not planning to be. I'm not saying I will not, uh, God won't take care of me, but I don't want you to say, let me just suffer with you small. They will not enjoy it. Hey, 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 don't put me under pressure. That listen, we have not suffered for five years. When is the enjoyment starting? For girl? I don't know. But I can assure you, you will fulfill destiny. I can assure you, you will be a blessing in this life. But I cannot promise you that, don't worry, after some time, everything will now be honky I can't promise anything. If anybody is promising you that, young woman, don't believe him. You know why? He's lying to himself. Don't believe him. He's lying to himself. When we were younger, I used to think things like that. Well, after a while, I said, hey, boy, don't put anybody under pressure. Don't put yourself under pressure. Now, please, let me focus on what I'm going to explain. Do you know what? Young lady, you will marry that guy that is planning to make your life hard. And you will know. Now, I'm talking about what? Sacrifice. Now, I'm not saying, listen to this, I'm not saying Christians are gluttons for punishment. They were just going around in life looking for where things are difficult. But I am saying, again and again and again in your life, God will make you 
forego that which you will have enjoyed for that which you have to endure for a greater purpose. You hear what I said? That is, God will make you hmm, forego that which you will have enjoyed for that which you will have to endure. But this is a key. It has to be for what? A greater purpose. Christians must understand, life is about what? You must offer sacrifices in life. In fact, your whole life... Now, please, when I'm talking about sacrifice, let's just clarify it. Because, you know, they have turned the sacrifice into how they collect from people on Sunday. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean making your life a living sacrifice. That's In different ways. So Abraham had to sacrifice. That's the point I'm emphasizing. So that God's purpose might be fulfilled. When I see the average Christian talk, talk, average Nigerian talk these days, I just know they don't understand anything. Now, it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I mean, really, I really don't care if the average person is the one that pains me is Christians. And you actually look at people who are offering sacrifices, and they say, "Why are you bothering with this?" And you're looking like, "Come, come to where you know." <laughs> one brother used to say something there, very annoying, very, very annoying, very annoying. He said, "You are still in that country." Better go and pray. Let God talk to you. Did you hear that? You didn't hear me. That if God speaks to you, you won't be in that country. You want to know the truth? That's a very foolish statement. When God spoke to Abraham, you know where he went. He left the beautiful country and went into the wilderness. When God spoke to Moses, you know where he went. He left the palace and went into the wilderness. When God spoke to John, he left his clothes behind. He left good food behind. And he was in the wilderness and everybody was going there to meet him. He was eating locusts and wild honey. Why? God spoke to him. You know how you know we are not hearing? You know, you know me and this, I, uh, God spoke to me. God spoke to me. I don't believe most of what Christians tell me. Because anytime he speaks to them, now how to chop better. When God speaks to us, eh? you know the truth? See, let me tell you something to you. Eh? Most times God speaks. Why he has to speak? is that that decision is counterintuitive. It's what you wouldn't do normally. So it's hardly ever nice. Once God is speaking to you all the time to take the one that an average unbeliever would have taken because it is nice, forget it, you're not hearing God. You wouldn't have bothered. I don't know whether you're getting my point. If something is natural, it's simple, it makes sense, why would God talk about it? He will just leave it. He knows you'll do it. How many times has he spoken to you to, to eat supper? When you have food, how many times does it need to speak to you? All right, so you go, you go for a function. They give you buffet. Night, it's there, eat. The only time you will speak as such it, uh, under such circumstances is when he doesn't want you to eat. Like my sister said, she went to go and see somebody. Before she entered, the Holy Spirit spoke to her clearly. Beware of the leprosy of Naaman. You're like she heard it. Like who's there? Then when she entered to go and invite somebody for a program, the woman said, oh, wow, I like what you are doing. Open the drawer, drop money on the table. Let me support you. Now, listen. Naturally, we should collect such a money. Is it not, is it, is it bad? No. There was, not, there was nothing attached that she could see. It's like, I'm doing this outreach program. I want you to be there. She wanted to reach out to that person herself. All right? So, please, I would like you to be there. So, she went to personally give this big woman her invitation. As she entered the lift to go to the person's office, Inside the list, you just heard, beware of nephro- leprosy of Nama. And she was like, what's going on here? She didn't know what it meant until she entered the office. 
And the woman said, oh, I'll try my best. I'm not sure I'm going to be around, but please let me support you. And brought cash, put it on the table, plenty money. What did she do? Of course, she just remembered, oh, Lord, this is what you meant when you said, beware of the leper. And she just told the woman, say, God bless you, man. I really appreciate this. The Lord bless you. But it's your presence I want, not your money. So she got up, left the money on the table. Said, no, I'm just trying to let's just help each other. We want women, woman to woman. And then she said, but you know she had been warned. And said, thank you, but I'm sorry I had to decline. You know what? If God didn't see anything, it was okay to collect that money. Now, what was I saying? That life is about sacrifices. I hope you're getting my point. Yes, you have to make So just know it in life. Stop looking for uh, where am I going to get something for myself? No. Just look what are the sacrifices I'm supposed to make. Because the opportunity will come again and again in which you will have to make a sacrifice. Please let me say it again. I am not saying we get up looking for where life is hard. Did I say so? There are, two, there are three job offers. Say so which one plays the lowest so I can go and suffer. That's not what I said. I hope you're getting my point. I didn't say so. Please, don't get me wrong. What I'm just saying is that when you look at those three job offers, how much which one pays is less in your scale of preference than what impact can I make? I hope you're getting my point. If all of them are the same, bro, except the Holy Spirit speaks otherwise, you take the one that has the highest pay. Are you getting my point? It's not a a bad thing. I'm just, just saying that in this life, as a Christian, I must suffer. I must just suffer. I just go, I'm just suffering, look for where they're suffering. And that's not the point I'm making at all, that, you know. What I'm just saying is that when necessary, be ready that you will make sacrifices. That's what I'm saying. Just know that that's how it is in the lives of Christians. But what is the purpose of the sacrifice? That's the point I'm making. The purpose is for the release of, let me use that expression, of divine purpose. It's for the accomplishment of divine plans. That if nobody walks with God actively, what he wants to do, he will not do. He will not be able to do. Don't assume that God can just do anything he wants anytime he likes it. That's not the way he has structured things to be, to, to be especially when it has to do with this earth in which we are involved. If he wants to do something, apart from when he wants to judge, beyond judgment, any, that is when he wants to say, okay, I'm tired of everybody, wipe them out. Even that one, he will still raise a prophet. Yes, he will still raise a prophet. Somebody still has to speak the word of judgment onto the earth. Okay? But generally, when he wants to accomplish something that is, that is good, as a blessing, the most important thing he does is to raise people that will work with him. I was talking about Nigeria. Remember I was talking about it? The one of the things that pains me the most is that Christians, when they speak, they don't get it. Somebody posted something the other day. I read it, you know. A man who described what Nigerian Airways did to him. I don't know how many of you saw it. And that they, at the end of the day, you know the last thing he said, that as soon as he boarded that plane, he said nonsense. Whether they will ever see me in that country again, I said, you, you have just abandoned your father's house because your brother maltreated you. And you are bragging about it. So your brother maltreated because, look, on a national scale, think about it. The, you are a university lecturer. The Nigerian Airways staff, they, those were government workers. So you are brothers, technically speaking, about the country. All right? They maltreated you. So your ideas abandon your father's house. So that, no, I said, stop that nonsense. Now, what he said happened then, nobody does it now. That you buy an airline ticket, you still have to bribe somebody to be put on the manifest to be able to travel. 
Nobody does it now. And you can stay there now and threaten anybody with fire and brimstone. <laughs> Are you getting my point? Yeah, people work to make that happen. Nobody should let you know. Go and read the Strive Masiwa story. You know what he went through to build Econet in Zimbabwe. You think you want to, you, you, you want to make progress happen and evil will not fight back? I hope you know the, the corruption in the system is benefiting somebody. Torah Kunili fought fake drugs until they rained bullets on her vehicle. One of the bullets went through her scarf. You think that's, look, go and read the story of um, um, Rudy Giuliani and Co. in New York when they had to fight the mafia. They had to write laws that you couldn't catch a mafia guy. It's so hard to catch him. They wrote laws to make greeting each other a crime. I don't know whether you're getting my point. That is <laughs> what they call the Rico laws. The Rico laws were written in such a manner that if two mafia guys greet each other, it's enough. Once all of them gather together to eat somewhere, you photograph them and say they are eating together. Why? You've shown that they are friends. You say it's Racketeer um, Influenced Corrupt Organizations Act. That's the way they use it. The point I'm making is that guys fought to break that power. And we take pride in the fact that when I saw it, I just got up and walked away. When I saw that article, I said, this man, you have just proven that you will be a slave all your life. Because nobody ever becomes a free man who is not ready to make sacrifices. That's how this life is. So. You are blessed to be a blessing. And listen, God sends you to this life, there will be challenges. Like, you know, like I say all the time, <laughs> when we want to make a choice of who to marry, who not to marry, and they start looking for how, how life will be easy for them. You will end up a slave. Let me just tell you the truth. You will end up regretting, biting your tongue. You know, you'll be biting your tongue every day. You know, you look at it, you're the only one God made. You want to marry a man who has no problem. The father doesn't control him. His mother doesn't control him. He doesn't have your younger ones to take care of. They need to come to take care of you. You're a crazy human being. Because, you see, I will just wake up in the morning looking for who to take care of. Do, do you know how, how, how hard life is? <laughs> do you know how hard life is? I'm going to read your Bible well. When God made Eve, it was to solve Adam's problems. It's not your Bible. And Eve want to wake up these days and say, let me look for an Adam that, ha- that doesn't need help. Adam that has built a house. That has a lot of money to buy me a car as a wedding present. That I don't have to stress myself to be his help. That I, I don't need the help. Adam doesn't need the help me. What he needs is a chop meat. Someone to assist him in eating and enjoying life. Life is about what? Making sacrifices. It's about sacrifices. You say, I could have this. But if I go this way, I'll be able to help them here. These guys don't need help. Yeah, they have a lot of money to give me, but they don't need help. But these guys, they need help. Yeah, the money is not fantastic, but at least wake up every day knowing we are useful to this generation. That is what life is about. I hope you are getting my point. It's very crucial you understand this. That is what life is about. So God called Abraham. I will bless you so you can be what? A blessing. So I was saying, when we're talking about divine abundance, we are not talking about what the world calls abundance. What is prosperity? I'm going to tell you something I learned from different people, especially the Red Prince. Prosperity, the Red Prince said, is having enough to do the will of God for your life. Then I modified it. I said, and having more than enough to help somebody else do his own too. I hope you're getting my point. Yes. 
What is prosperity? Having enough abundance around us so that all of us can fulfill the will of God. That is what prosperity is. Prosperity is not having so much that will not be under pressure. Thinking of what to do with the money that we have acquired, which we don't know what the purpose is for. That's not what prosperity is. You are prosperous if everything God wants to do at each point in time, you have the resources to accomplish it. And when somebody else comes and says, this is what, I mean, I'm not saying they come and harass you with what God said, but then you perceive that this is what the person should be doing now in line with the will of God. You have enough to also assist. That is what prosperity is. It's all about the will of God. It's not about bank balance. It's not about Instagram pictures, which you know, most of the ones you see there. I don't go to Instagram. I don't know what they do there. I'm not saying don't go. I'm just saying I don't go. All right? But I read about it all the time. Don't let anybody set you know, a wrong standard for you on what life is supposed to be about. If you find somebody on a private jet, don't, there is nothing to add. Let me explain. There is nothing to admire in it. In his days, Rabbi Zachariah used to say that, that he spent two-thirds of his life on planes. That is alive for 24 hours on the average, okay? On the average, you find that 16 of those hours is is inside a plane. Why? The kind of life he lived is a type that he's giving a lecture in Lagos today. The next lecture is in Cairo, and it's the next day. The one after that is somewhere in Amsterdam. It's the very next day. The one is in Australia, somewhere in Australia. So it's always shortening from one airport to another, trying to catch up with his schedule. So he found out that he was spending two-thirds of his living time flying up and down. What does that tell you? If he's still sitting on economic class seats, he's not prosperous. Yes, because he can't do the will of God. Sitting straight like that. You will just die. Deep vein thrombosis. Yeah, go and check what that means. Blood clots will form in your legs. You want to come down one day to detach. Block your lungs. You just collapse and die. And God will be okay with it. You can't break laws like that all the time. I mean, you're, you're sitting up like that. All, it's not like you're not a Hindu. You're a Christian. So if such a man demands that any time you want him to come, you buy him a business class ticket. He's not been... Which one do I do is now? He's not been um, over... He's not been extravagant. There's another I'm looking for anyway. He's not being high-minded. Yes, that's the word. He's not being high-minded. He's being reasonable. I have to have a bed. It's only, that's the only time I'll get to sleep. And if one day, God decides, okay, there's no problem. I'm going to have you, give you a Learjet, all right, a Gulfstream, G450, and you have pilots and one or two crew to move with you up and down. To the average person, that's a lot of money. But God says, that's how to keep this man alive. And if you don't have that schedule, like I don't have. And you come, well, I'm not like it. Well, I don't like it. I don't know. Huh? But it's, it's not really progress because if you know the kind of person, Ken Hagin, okay, leave me. I'm not that important, right? Let's leave me out. Ken Hagin, you know, he didn't have that schedule. Most of the time he was in um, Tulsa. And if he leaves Tulsa, he's going to a place where they are running a whole week program. So he didn't need that kind of thing. No, it's not everybody that moves up and down. There are preachers I see up. Ah, I say, where are they going to? Now, 
I don't like going, you know, going up and down. I just don't like. And then again, because of the kind of thing I do, all right? Can I, I was listening to Ken about two days ago, three days ago, on my way back when I traveled a few days ago. I was listening to him, and he was explaining that those days he used to take, if you invited him and you didn't, didn't give him three weeks, he wasn't coming. So he used to take between three and six weeks. So if you had the plane in quote, in quote, of course, it was too financially small those days for that kind of thing. But if he had, you packed the plane there for three weeks. Does that make sense? Of course it doesn't. You're getting my point. So if you come to me now and say, Fresh bank, you're right. The Lord spoke to me. And then you drop a golf stream on me. I would say, come. Who did this say spoke to you? Because he does he want me to start? Okay, okay, okay. So let me dash my wife. Go and use to run a leasing, aircraft leasing company. Because this guy is not going to start the headache of trying to manage owning an aircraft, which is a very, very intense thing to do. And it's intense. You have to, <laughs> your driver is not the normal driver. You can't just say, oh boy, you know the way I do to some of the guys here. So I beg, I want to travel, come, let's go. I want to come, just enter moto. <laughs> you can't enter my plane like that. Do you get my point? <laughs> the Lord is good. So you see, it's not just a mark of, it's not a mark of prosperity that you have um, some material things. It's what purpose is this serving in your life. So the Prince said, and of course, before I quote the Red Prince again, so if you don't have it, sometimes God is saying you don't need it. We're talking about big things like airplanes, but let's, sometimes, sometimes just simple practical things in your life. Small things, a car, a phone, a fat bank account, things like that. I say, don't worry. I don't need you to do it. There's nothing you will do with it for now. Settle down where you are at this moment. It doesn't mean you are not prosperous. It just means, look, you know, I say this all the time, and I, mean, I think about it once in a while, you know, and I say, no, what I'm saying is true. If you ask me to exchange positions with a man like, um, Aleko Dangote, who's currently Nigeria's richest man, Africa's richest man, and the black, um, that is at least the, the richest black man on the earth today, okay? If you ask me to change positions with him, I will never agree. I won't agree in a thousand years. And please, I'm not trying to be humble. I'm not trying to even play uh, holy with you. No. Because the greatest desire of my heart is what I'm doing now, teaching the word of God. Sitting down and writing small, small things. Like now I'm reviewing one of our books. That's the work I'm doing currently. Okay, that is my greatest desire. And once we switch places, that has to die. Do you get what I'm saying? So why would I want it to die? Just because somebody will now put my name in a magazine and say, yeah, put me on the the richest list. And then suddenly I'm among those who are thinking about, uh, what is the dollar going for? How much is this one? It's not a bad thing, but it's somebody's job. And I don't like the job. True. I'm not lying about. I'm, I, not, let's leave on leaving this. Let's let's leave the secular world out, the business world, even ministry. Now, if you've listened to me long enough, you know how much respect and love I have for a man like Bishop David Oyedepo. Okay, those who used to go there for school of ministry and all of that, and I saw all the things happening around. For later on, he built the first university, the second one, and they are coming up with more. And I looked at the ministry then, and I told one brother we were talking about it. Listen, I was being blessed though. And I was coming there, and I loved the man. But I said, I don't want a ministry like this. I said this more than 20 years ago. More than 25 years ago, I said this. I was inside the church, on the premises outside. Me and one brother were talking. And we're talking about it. And we loved and admired the man. But I said, God, I do not want a ministry like this. Not because it's bad. But the ministry I admired, that if God says, okay, what kind of ministry will I give you? I said, no, I like in a Higgins type. Is it because this one is bad? No. 
But when I saw the amount of work he had to do, the kind of things he had to do, the, the people that came there, I hope you're getting my point. I told myself, no, what I want to do with my time and my anointing is slightly different. Sometimes people ask me that, why did I start ministry the way I'm running it now? And I've been running it now for over 20 years. Do you know the truth is that I can't remember specifically. Maybe I finished praying and the Lord said, this is what you will do. No. I just reasoning about it. I just what to be the most effective way to deliver teaching. Like we just started our school of knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. All right, now we've done the first um, recording. Okay? So that if you go through a hundred of those things, you'll be very grounded in Christianity. And this life, things take time. You can't do, see, you can't do too many things, though. You can't be excellent in more than one thing. Never that, apart from one, every other thing you'll be average. Do you hear what I said? In life, you can do many things, but you will only be excellent in one. You will only be most impactful in one. And that area where you are going to be most excellent and most impactful, this, this man used to teach us this. That's where, that's where you, should, you should spend most of your energy. Don't spend your energy where you are average, where 200 people are doing the same thing. Spend more energy in the place where you are distinct. Now, the truth is that a lot of people don't understand this. They think the world has taught them that if that area now you now make you very rich. No. It do, it do not make you very rich. Leave this rich thing out. Leave it out for a moment. But at least, everybody wants to be blessed in that particular area. They will look in your direction. And that is one that should be most important to you. I hope you are getting my point. That is how God builds. Let's come back to the issue of this nation as an example. That's how God builds a nation. Like my friend said, Nehemiah principle, build your portion of the wall. You will make sacrifices. Listen, that's just the way life is. You have, somebody will come one day, give you an opportunity, say, look, change jobs. Come to this place. This will employ you. They give you three times what you are earning here, right here. And you move over there. And then you will look and say, Kai. Maybe you teach secondary school children. You'll be thinking of those children, so I will leave them behind. You will think to yourself, before I came, these boys were, some of them were beginning to join calls. Ever since I started standing in front of them, nobody's been tempted with cultism. None of my students smoke. None. Every time I call for a meeting, they come there. Look at the person who's offering the job. Say, am I going to another place where I will gather more children? Say, no. But, you know, you will get very rich. It's called, it's called sacrifice. Say, no. Thank you. Say, I'll be back. Home. Hold the job for me. But let me finish with these children. <laughs> Next year. Third year. Of course, I'm not going to hold it for you. And let me just explain something again. Don't assume that once I've done it for five years, God will now make me richer than those who went. He doesn't, it, see, that, it, it doesn't owe you that. No, he doesn't owe that to you at all. Because that's the mistake we keep making. We, there's this transaction, financial transactional thing the world has taught us, and Christians, even pastors, all right, without us realizing they have taught the church. Okay? We just assume that once you make the right sacrifices, over the next many years, you become richer than those who did not make it. It's not necessarily so. Your name can be John the Baptist. You stay in the wilderness. You do everything. When you are done, they behead you. But there's one thing you will never miss. And that's what me I'm praying to God for. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's the greatest wealth. That's the greatest wealth. 
For you to live through life, people think that you didn't do successfully. But Jesus looks at you and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That is the greatest wealth you can ever receive. That is the greatest wealth you can ever experience. For the Lord to say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Like I said, that kind of situation, you just look and say, no, sorry guys. I've been given these children to take care of. I need to finish the work that I've started with them. That if I leave now, what will not happen? That's a story I've told many times. Young woman, God used her to break, start a revival. If I'm just thinking about it now. No, in, the, in the state where this happened, there's a lot of you know, restiveness, unrest in the villages. I said, that kind of person, if you were in that village, I'm just thinking about it. God said, no, no, this cannot start here. All these boys cannot camp. Because these are spiritual things. It's not everywhere that troublemakers can camp. There's an atmosphere that would just say you can't camp here. Like one brother told me, you know, the other we went to Waka. He said in their village, these um, UGMs, unknown government, they have camps around their area. Anytime you come home, Christmas and all that, they will first come and arrest, kidnap all of you. Making you take an oath that you will not reveal where they are to security forces. Now, it happens for me from that area. That was his testimony. So when they told him, when he found out about it, he began to pray. They kept on praying about it. They said one day, that's why he was giving me the testimony. Those guys just packed themselves into a number of vehicles, maybe about five, six, seven vehicles. They loaded themselves and just drove away and never came back. What happened, he doesn't know. What rumor they heard, he doesn't know. All he knows is that they kept on praying and God dislodged them. There was no fight, no gunfight, nothing. They just came themselves, packed all their things, loaded into vehicles and zoomed off and never came back. So the young woman was telling me about God used her to break forth a revival in a rural area like that. And they told her that you can't stay here not making money. Some brothers gathered together to help her with some extra money. Then the family came and said, you have to marry. So she left that place. The revival shut down. She moved down to Thessalonica, Demas Principal. The revival ended because she was gone. God needs people. Once she left, the whole thing shut down. And she got the husband she was talking about. They said she, she must marry. In the following year or so, she was married. A few years after she married, she was dead. You know why she died? We know the story behind the death, physically speaking. However, I look at things from above, not from beneath. Read your Bible. When God wanted to end the life of Aaron, he said he should remove his garment. As soon as he removed Aaron's garment, he died. What does that tell you? His garment was keeping him alive. I'll be getting my point. Of a garment being priestly garment. That was what was keeping Aaron alive. As soon as he removed it, Aaron expired. Some of us, by ourselves, will strip the thing off and hang it somewhere. And say to God, let me go and first do this. I'll be back. Life is about sacrifices. And I'm not preaching to anybody saying, if you just make those sacrifices, God will make you the richest man in Africa. Look, God doesn't play those games. He's not competing with anybody. I hope you're getting my point. He can do it. I'm not saying he can't do it. But remove your mind from it. The person who he did it for in the Bible that we know, Solomon. He offered, he asked Solomon, what should I do for? Solomon did not go near them. He didn't go near it at all. Brother asked me when I went to Potako to preach, I think it was last year. He said, is he a sin to want to be rich? I said, yes. He was surprised. Is he a sin? I said, it's a sin. It's iniquity to want I said, being rich is not a sin. You read your Bible, First Timothy chapter 6, Paul made it clear. There were rich people 
amongst the, in the church. And he said, not many of you were rich from somewhere. He didn't say there was none of you rich. He said, not many. <laughs> they were rich people. Go and read the story of Jesus Christ. They were rich people that, that were part of the ministry. So we're not saying it is wrong. Are you getting my point? That want to him flat. The young man was surprised. He said, that want is the one that is the problem. You can't want. You can just desire to fulfill your assignment. And believe God to send all resources available or necessary to you. That is all. I'm just trying to emphasize something again. I don't know. I've been on it for quite a while now. Almost an hour. Just trying to emphasize the fact that the purpose, how God describes things for believers is very different from how the world does. So we read from the book of Genesis chapter 12 that the reason why God blessed Abraham was so that Abraham could walk with him and bring his purpose to pass on the earth. And I'm saying you will make sacrifices to that end also, with that intent in mind. And this Abraham we are talking about here, he left the comfortable zone he had to follow the Lord so that God could bless him, so he will be a blessing. Many of us know what we are looking for. We want to do something so we can be blessed. No, God said, no, I want to bless you so you can do something. I hope you're getting my point. Yeah, that's it. That is, by the time you are blessed, your work is just starting after God has poured a blessing on you. If he pours a financial blessing on you, it's not this is my reward. No, this is my job. It's important. So, what have we been explaining? Let me just go back to, the, to what I said we'll continue in last time. We have already established the fact that we are blessed. Amen? Amen. In Christ Jesus, we are blessed. Amen. Every, you know, we said it, Abraham, he walked with God, and God lifted the curse from our heads. We are not slaves anymore. Can I beg you for something? Don't sell yourself as a slave. I should read this. I've not read this scripture in a very long time. It says, Issachar is a strong donkey. Lying down between the sheepfolds. When he saw that a resting place was what? Pleasant. Issachar. That's Genesis 49, right? Yes, a 49, good. I have not read it in a little while. So open to Genesis chapter 49. He said, Issachar is a strong donkey. Lying down between the sheepfolds. 49 from verse 14 and 15. When he saw that the resting place was good. And that the land was pleasant. Bowed his shoulder to bear burdens and became a slave at first labor. Let me just warn you. If you don't want to be a slave, stop running up and down because the land is good. I hope you get my point. Why do people despise their assignment so much and get enticed to where they don't have an assignment? I don't get it. I don't know how me I was raised. I thank God for it. I give him the praise. I told you. First time I went to the U.S. many years ago now. I mean, Victory wasn't born then. I was there for a course. It took me about 30 days. Of course, I was there for a total of six weeks. Those early days when I first got to the hospital where I was doing my, well, the, the thing I went to do, an, an attachment. <laughs> when I was traveling, people said, hey, are you sure you're going to come back? You know, it, it was shocking. Like, I, I, a number of people, I remember one brother, so I, I was in one guy's office, very funny, you know. I don't know what, how people's minds work, different from mine. One of our senior brothers, those days, Nenugu here, was in his office. So he just said, ah, Banky. There was a one young man there with him, all right, younger than me. He said, Banky, are you going to your visa? I said, yes. I picked it up that hour. It was last week. Yeah, I picked the visa. So I have it now. Oh, when are you traveling? So that guy was looking at me, the guy beside him. I still remember his face. He said, U.S. visa. I said, yes. He said, ah, if you see his face. So I look at him like, 
I didn't tell you they gave me a billion dollars. I said they gave me a U.S. visa. That was a, if you see, it's as if he just saw you know, the Holy Spirit come down on Jesus Christ. This is my beloved son, in whom I wept. It's the kind of response I expected from John the Baptist when Jesus was, he showed up, behold the Lamb of God, you know that kind of thing. I looked at him like, what is the excitement over? He literally said that for some people, they think that's heaven. I didn't think anything of it. Like I told you, I've told the story many times. It was a month, and I'm not exaggerating, God is my witness. I was already leaving my hotel room because I had to go to Abuja the day before. My interview was in Abuja. I was about to leave. I was dressed, about to step out of the hotel room where I was staying. When I just said, Banky, you have not even asked God for this. I said, yeah. So I closed the door, went back to pray. I stood to pray. I said, Lord, I just dropped my things on the foot of the bed. I said, Lord, it just dawned on me. I've not even asked you to give me this thing. I said, Lord, for the records, I would like to go for this course. So I'm asking you to give me the visa. I ask you in Jesus' name, amen. And I, my interview was like 9. This was at like 7 a.m. My taxi man was waiting outside. I don't know what I get my point. That was it. So when a man looked at me, I'm like, huh? what is it? Do is I didn't think anything of it. So some people are saying that when I said, did not find out you're traveling, I said, yeah, where are you going? I'm going to the US. Are you sure you're going to come back? And I'm looking at them like, it's a silly joke. I don't know whether you're getting my point. I didn't think, I didn't think. I said, what do you mean? One brother said, I said, that one here, we are close, as I respect for. I said, ah, bro, you know, now I have a ministry to do it. He said, there's ministry in America too. You know, I just looked and I said, God, what is up with people? So I'm telling you, it's not even now. Nothing that everybody won't die for this. You know, this was like, um, that's around seven or so. Yeah, it's been a while. So I was like, what is the all? Of-? Now, this is where I'm going with the whole thing. Some of those days, of course, African guy, so my departmental secretary, white woman, used to tell me a lot of things, you know. So we used to do a lot of talking. So she showed me how to move around. So that day, she was going to show me how to do my bus navigation. So we came down for the, to the bus, you know, stop there. I was not telling her about Nigeria and everything. <laughs> and she told me that they had a hundred pathologists in one institution where I was working. And then the whole of Nigeria did not have 50. I said, whatever little temptation that may have been crawling in my, my flesh, I was going to say spirit, my flesh, to say in this country just disappeared. It was never there anyway. But peradventure, there was one microscopic one that I did not know. It just vanished when I heard that. I felt so irre. That is, what did you just say? I said, what? One institution had a hundred. The whole of this, my country didn't have 50. Then, I said, no, I'm, I just said, no, in my mind. Hey, I am going back home. I, uh, good enough, I was planning to go back home anyway. Of course, I was just there for about six weeks, five weeks actually. Okay, six. But I said, whatever microscopic flesh lit that wanted to arise just disappeared. I can't get up from where I'm needed and head for where. I am not. Please. He said, Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between the sheepfolds. He saw that the resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulder therefore to bear burdens and became a slave at first labor. See, so talking with Israel and Apostle yesterday about some people that would be. I said, Look, how do you do this? I said, This guy has become a slave at first labor. Why? He said, The resting place is good. One man the other day was speaking. I'm sorry, I need to say this clearly. I think it's foolishness. Absolute foolishness. This guy is a specialist doctor. He was in Abuja. He owned 
private clinic. He had built a house from practicing. From the way he spoke, it looked like he lived in another one, not the one he built. He had staff. He said he had three cars. He had, of course, you know the way Nigeria is. He had drivers. He had people working for him. He shut everything down. He did. And then packed his wife and I think two or three kids. And went over to Canada. And then, the, so the guy interviewing him is, is also a foreigner in Canada. He's an Indian or something. They're doing a video. And he was telling, he was telling people that don't mind, this place is not easy. He was telling us in the video. What he had to suffer, what he had to go through. That right now he's still doing exams so, so that he'll be able to practice. Of course, not as a psychiatrist for sure. Because he was a psychiatrist in Nigeria. So the person asked, okay, so what is the motivation? He said, they will reward my children with Canadian citizenship. It was the only thing this guy said. I'm like, what? Excuse me. From what you have told me, the minimum number of staff you'll have had was 10. You said you had three cars. You, for me, my emphasis is that you owned a private clinic. And you said they will reward you. So somebody, one of my classmates, because that's why I saw the video, he said, please, oh, can I understand what is the reward in that? It just, it, no. And he meant it is a very honest question. Uh, the person I'm talking about is the chief medical director of a federal teaching hospital in Nigeria, one of my classmates. He said, please, I want to understand. So why I told you his, his own status is that he's been around. Understand? He asked you who's going, went to school abroad and all of that. You know, most of the children are university graduates. He just, just asked him, sir, please, can you guys educate me on what is the advantage that you have conferred upon these kids now for such a sacrifice. Here was a man telling me how he has become a slave, how he goes to work, and how they treat him. He said, he said, he said back home, you see, you can save up to half of your income. And I know for his level, all the money he will be earning, he didn't need half of it. Yeah, seriously. I mean, I, 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 I could just do small calculation of everything. If he didn't decide to be living a lavish lifestyle, you wouldn't finish all of the money he was earning. And he said it himself. He said he could save. He said, now nah, here I can't save. He said, you work for every, every dollar. I was treated at work where I was working. So the man said, okay, so what is the use of all of this? He said, you see, after some time, they will reward my children with Canadian citizenship. I felt like I said, you are an idiot. May God teach us how to value things. Yeah. You know, I'm talking about sacrifices. So I have no problem with making a sacrifice. But I said, for what purpose? What is the purpose? Okay, this sacrifice you are telling us you have made now. What is the purpose of it? Issachar is a strong donkey. Lying down between the sheepfolds. When he saw that the resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, he bowed his shoulder to bear burdens and became a slave at first level. First level. Please, what should guide your life? It's not where the resting place is good and the land is pleasant. Never. That should never be the guiding principle of your life. I come, in, this, in the volume of the books, it is written of me, to do thy will, oh my God, thy law is within my heart. That is the primary thing. The resting place of Abraham before was good, but it was uprooted for the sake of the purpose of God. The resting place of Moses was good, but they say you have no resting place here. So he rose and he left. Divine purpose is a thing that must always be in the front of the hearts of believers. Let's continue. 
So we have been looking at it. I said there are three principles we must walk by if we want to tap into, you know, the curse has been lifted, amen? amen. In Christ Jesus, we have been blessed with, the, that is, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Amen. There is no ancestral curse in your life. There's none. Amen. Thank you for that amen, no? But what I'm telling you is not for a prayer. It's information. That amen says you agree, right? Yes, uh, but I want to just go, go beyond, like, let not sound like prayer. We are giving ourselves information. For example, if I tell you now, that you are wearing a white shirt and a black jacket. Will you say amen? So that's how I know it. The amen is correct. I agree with the amen. But let us assume that I came and told you that this your jacket is black and your shirt is white. Will you say amen? It's, thank you, sir. Are you saying it is fine? Are you get my point? It's just what? Information. Correct information. Factual information. Not a wish, not a prayer. If I told you that that jacket is red, you know, you look at it again. Sir, are you talking to me? Whether it's black. Okay, okay, yeah. In the same manner. Now, I don't want to say amen. All right? So, let's know. I'm telling you now what you are wearing spiritually. So, you're already blessed. Just, just like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, sir. That kind of thing. <laughs> That's what I expect to hear. The curse in your life has been broken. You don't have any curse in your life. Say, thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Say, so you have seen well. <laughs> yeah, because I'm not praying for you. I'm giving you facts. I'm giving you fact. Once you're a believer in Christ Jesus, look, you are blessed. The curse is removed. I've said it again and again. Let nobody tell you once you break a curse from your life. Tell the person, I'm born again. I've given my life to Christ. But the other thing we would not have said is that when you have light, darkness lingers around. You have to do what? Separate the light from the darkness. You take the darkness, bundle it, and throw it out. If things don't work out well, the way they are supposed to work out, it's called oppression. You fight it. You fight it. Not by trying to break a curse, but say, no, there are some critical decisions and, or changes I have to make in my life to make what God has done for me effective. And we said there are three things, right? Yes. Number one, you pursue after what? After righteousness. You pursue hard after righteousness. I need to say this again. Satan is very crafty. He knows the way to bring you under what appears like a curse or renew curses in your life is through iniquity. So it will tempt you with iniquity. Even God allows you to be tested. It's called the furnace of affliction. That's why you are purified. In the furnace of affliction, that's why you are purified. So the trials to come into your life is to see whether you are irrevocably committed to righteousness. And like I said, if you don't want to push this fight to the next generation, Stand on righteousness no matter what you take. No matter what it will take, stand on righteousness. Say, if I perish, let me perish. So you need to lie so you can eat. Say, let me die of hunger. It doesn't mean that I'm cursed. It just means I have a trial of my faith. I hope you're getting my point. In fact, you know, the second point we had was what? Learn to walk by faith. These are the two I'm supposed to talk about. And the third one is what? Be a cheerful giver. Let me see how far I can go with both of them. You must walk by faith. What is faith? Faith means whatever God has said is final. Like I said, look, I don't care how anointed the person is. See, today I have an special anointing to break the curse in your life. Don't get up from your seat. Because if you do get up, you are acknowledging something that's not true. Doesn't mean you don't have challenges. Of course, who doesn't have? Of course, we have challenges. But by faith, we take whatever God has said. And look, 
you can't have faith if you don't wrap information around you. That is, you don't wrap the word of God around you. So you must make studying, being present where the word is being taught, a habit. You must. You must, because that is why you get information concerning what God is saying in your life. That is how you walk by faith. That is how you walk by faith. That's the foundation. You have to have information. Look, listen, when God came to the garden, when the Lord came in the cool of the day, and Adam said he was naked, what did they ask him? Who told you? Who told you? He said, have you been eating of what I told you not to eat? That is, what you are eating decides what you hear. I hope you're getting my point. What you hear decides how you react to life. So you must constantly hear the word. You drink of the spirit that is in the word. You must. That is what faith is about. And anything that happens in your life, learn to interpret it by faith. Don't use wrong. You did the first business, it failed. Second business, you have a near success. I don't have anything. I'm learning in life. They ask, uh, what is his name? Um, Thomas Edison. You tried this number of times before this thing worked. He said, no, I only discovered that number of times by which it doesn't work. <laughs> I hope you get my point. Assuming it's, 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 it's 10,000 times. He said, no, we have found 10,000 ways by which it does not work. We've recorded it. We won't try that again. I hope you're getting my point. I was in Meduguri that day. One of our pastors, who, uh, senior brothers, who came to preach. <laughs> he told a story about his life. Eh? <laughs> I laughed. Well, I would never have done that. Not because I was smarter or better than him. But because I'd heard and been warned. He said when he, wanted, when he started... Um, a church. They wanted the church to grow. So they told him that what he needed was um, good equipment, good music, good sound, good everything. He didn't have money. And Satan sent some people to help him with money. Some of these finance, um, microfinance institutions. So they lent him money. He said something which was interesting. He said, you know, there are times you hear something. You don't hear it. He, said, he had heard Bishop Oedipo say that, Pastor, you took a loan to build church. What are you selling? <laughs> he said he heard it, but he didn't register until he went and took a loan to buy equipment. I know the interest rate on those microfinance loans. So he came to church and there was good music. Everything was booming. There's only one thing that did not happen. The church did not grow. And offering did not increase. The offering did not increase. But the interest was piling. He said he got to a time. The interest on the money was so much, he just gave up. He gave up paying. That there's no need. Until those ones went and used police. Told police that he's a 419 man. And it was in church service when police arrested him. That's when he remember what Bishop Oedipo said. That pastor, you took a loan to build church. What are you selling? That is what they had the intent to pay back. Later on, he told me the story of how he finally got out of there. Some people had to make sacrifices for him. So he said he learned. Now, this is where I'm going. He, he learned a lesson. When he was in that, I was laughing. You know why me, I was laughing? I heard Bishop Oedipo teach us those things. I used, I used to go for school of ministry there. His mother told us, I would never have, not because I'm too, I'm better than him, but because Bishop Wedeko had pulled our ears. That what? <laughs> you are getting what I'm going to say. 
So sometimes he, so it was said that, that he learned that lesson the hard way, but he learned it. So that is, now there's nothing you want to tell him about bringing loan from who, what, what. Anything God will not bring easy, I'm not doing. So what am I saying? We have challenges in life. Through those challenges, we learn. It's not a sign of a curse. I'll be getting my point. We keep learning. We keep learning. You interpret your life by faith. So don't let anybody tell you that uh, the witches are after you. You know, I've told there are things we say. If I pray about them, God will have to punish me. If you tell me witches are after me, and I go and kneel and say, God, deliver me from them, God will say, what did you just say? I have a simple rule. I don't even hear things like that. But I have a simple rule. I don't pray about such things. I don't. I've heard some of them before. I don't pray. I've said it to you many times. If you want to give me prophetic words, eh? better bring me correction. Don't come and scare me. I saw that you died. You that's telling me you will not die. Do you follow my point? I am not impressed. No, 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 not because I feel like I'm undiable. Are you getting my English? Good. All right, but I, don't, I will not die before the day the Lord has ordained. So it's between me and God for me to ensure that I'm, I don't remove the garment of Aaron on my shoulders before the time I'm supposed to remove it. Okay. So, but for me, it's correction. I will not rebuke death because you can't rebuke the dead that God has said you go and take somebody. I hope you get my point. Let me give you an example. Now, your name is, um, um, your name is, uh, let's say, Jacob or Jumbu, whatever. You are, a, you are an Israelite in Egypt. They say sacrifice an animal. Put on the doorpost. You don't. You stay inside as you are rebuking death. You know, the angel of death doesn't care. Call the name of Jesus. He will not move back. Do you know why? It's just that I said that enter the house and keep somebody there. Do you get my point? So, there's a way you can't rebuke the death that God has sent. So, that, I understand that. So we ask for mercy, but most importantly, we take correction. You can't scare me. Seriously, you can't scare me with such things. You dream, you prophesy. My mind is, okay, what do you now want me to do? That's what I keep on asking. So now that you have seen that I died, what do you now want me to do? If you are a real prophet and I believe you, I will put my house in order. But you are not going to make me not sleep. Just remind my wife of all the passwords. <laughs> and I will continue preaching normally. No, I will just check. Are you taking anybody's wife? No. You take anybody's money? No. Are you lying when you are preaching? I have, I have, see, I've seen sins of preachers. No, really. I can count like ten sins that preachers commit that God gets angry with. Those of you who are preachers, let me just tell you so that, one, they give you work, you not do them. See what I said? They give you a job. You didn't do it. It annoys God. Preachers. For example, they say, go to Nineveh. You head for Tashish. You are entering the water. They say, there's no other way. It's either Nineveh or water. That is one. Another thing that pastors commit, okay, is one, you don't tell the truth. You withhold the truth because you don't want to offend people. Did you hear that? You withhold telling the truth because you don't want to offend it's deadly for a preacher. It is. You withhold telling the truth because you don't want to offend somebody. How do I know that? Go and ask Jeremiah. God said, if I send it to anybody, you must go there. You will not be afraid of them. Otherwise, I will disgrace you before them. He warned Ezekiel the same way also. I will get my point. Number three. How many have I counted? Two. I may not get all of them, but let me just drop a few. Number three, I learned it from Kenahagin. You start doing the work that's not your own. 
You hear now that uh, Steve started the church after five years. He has built his permanent site. And his last birthday, they gave him a senator's land cruiser. So I looked at it and said, this one that I've been preaching like this, we'll never build permanent site. They don't join my name as a senator. So praise the Lord. Next week, we'll convert the church, the ministry to a church, and they start headquarters, and they start doing choir service without doing all of those things. The work they did not send. Why? Because I saw the one that Steve did. Canadian wonders that God judges it. Next, jealousy, envy. You don't walk in love towards other ministers of the gospel. Alright? It's also very deadly. How many have I counted? Four. Five. Now, this is a funny part. You will have thought this will have been number one, but it's actually like number five. These other things I said are very, very deadly. Sexual immorality. And last of all, love of money. I know how love of money manifests if you're a preacher. Usually, you twist the scriptures to collect money. These are the deadly sins of ministers of the gospel. There are some other ones I know that it's like, I believe there will be other ones I did not mention. But at least, note these ones I have mentioned because I have studied, I've been instructed, I've been taught about these ones. I've seen them in scriptures. You will see Moses did not circumcise his son. That has to do with the purpose of everything you are doing. And that was going to take his life. Everything in your life must be circumcised. Now, not just a preacher, every, every person. But I'm talking primarily about preachers now. What does it mean to circumcise your son? You must dedicate everything about yourself, including your children too. Everything must be dedicated deliberately to the Lord. You must tell him every, look, the gifts he gave you will be, will be committed to serving him alone. You, are not, you won't withhold telling the truth. Because it's not popular. Ken Hagen said God told him he was going to die at the age, he would not live beyond the age of 55 for the simple reason that he was not accepting to prophesy. Now, did you, can you imagine? He was teaching the word, though. Teaching the word. Teaching the word. But the spirit of the prophet will come upon him. He will shake it off. For a number of reasons. One major one, there's another reason he had, but one major reason he had was that he did not want to be classified Amongst, you know, the David Elijah's of Generation TV, Joshua, all those people. Uh-huh. Timothy Wells. They have, all, they have all kinds of... They, they, they are, Nigeria has a lot of them. Synagogue Church of Satan. No, there are plenty. So he has gauged everything. You know, he said, he said, you're Captain One. You know, that kind of... There are plenty. You know, I'm moving some names up and down so that... We will be arguing with you that this, uh, you're saying they are fake prophets. Yes, they are fake prophets. Remember those ones that were lengthening the arm of that woman... Uh, one of them was so shameless. After they exposed that all of this was Wayo, he said, no, the woman only lost her healing. I said, she's been losing her healing everywhere she went and collecting money for losing her healing. Are you okay? So, can I say, didn't want to be classified amongst all these people. I, I, I get that feeling too. It, for, for those who don't know, I don't like when people put my face on posters. I don't like it. That day my wife was driving, she said, ah, I saw you. Where did you see me? On poster. I said, hey, God, oh, when you see my face in the post, I love that. People, they don't hear. I beg them. They don't go great. I say, just write my name. Those who know me, they know my name. Now, I'm not saying poster is bad. I'm just telling you how I feel also. And you know when I started this? It was when I went to Port Harcourt some years ago. When we got to Port Harcourt, I saw the brethren who, invited, who organized the program, who invited us. They are taking a full, you know those massive billboards? I said, I just saw my face on a bill, smiling like an idiot down at the people. Look, you know, hey, the team pinned me. You know, I just looked at myself, false prophet. That's what I was just saying. Why? Because all over town, that was what they had all over Port Harcourt. 
So I just saw myself as one of these people. So I begged the people. I said, next time, please, don't do that. They said, okay. I said, can you just use my face as a watermark? They said, all right. Next time I saw the watermark, the same thing. After that, I said, guys, please, just forget this thing. Eh? Just write my name. So if you see posters that we do, program we do, you won't see my face there. It's just, now, please, I'm not saying it's wrong. Though. I'm just saying about how I feel. So Kenehege too was feeling like that. So when he's preaching and the spirit of the prophet will come upon him, he will remember prophet suddenly and he will refuse to prophesy. Do you remember prophet suddenly? So, you know, it's, it, because if you ever go and listen to a man like uh, Branham preach, all right? Some of these guys are doing now, Branham used to do, if you go to YouTube and check out his videos. Because he said, that's what Branham said, that can I also that experience? Let me tell you, can so? The Lord puts an anointing in his hand and told him that. He said, when the Lord put it in his hand, his hand was burning like fire. As if he was holding live coal. All right? Burning coal. So, that's the healing anointing. But for you to walk in anybody's life, all right? The person must believe. So, you will tell the person that I appeared to you. You knelt before me. I put the anointing in your hand. He said, if they believe, 100% of the times they will get cured. So he has to tell the story anytime he will minister. If you accept it, the anointing will flow into your life. Now, Braham's story was similar. So the Lord said that said to Braham, you have this anointing. If they will believe you, you will pray for them, they will always get healed. He said, but how, why would they believe me? He said, I will reveal to you the secrets of their hearts. So what he used to do, when you come to him for ministry, it was very common with him. He just look at you and tell you your life story. It will knock you off your feet. He just tell you, you're in your seat right now. You wanted to come here. You hesitated until your friend said this. You just described everything that happened. But now if he's describing to you, you know what? You will be humbled. You open your heart to him and he will pray and the power of God will flow. It's an anointing, special grace that those men had. Which is coming back in this generation. Amen. Yeah, yeah, it's coming back in this generation. Amen. Listen, it is coming back. Amen. I said it is coming back. Amen. We will not be distracted by all the fake prophets. But it's returning. Now, so you can imagine a man like um, Branham coming to minister in this our generation. After watching Professor, you know, he will be reluctant. I thought they think we're all the same. That's the only sin Kenneth Hagin committed. So when the spirit of the prophet will come upon him, he will shake it off. And then he had another reason. Well, let me not talk about that. It had to do with personal revelation. Because that used to make him know some things that was going to happen negatively in his family. And he didn't handle it. So it used to scare him a bit. So it made him shy away. Until God had to give him a stud one day. He fell and badly injured his elbow. They now took him to hospital. Then the Lord now came physically and appeared to him. He let us talk. That if we don't have this talk, you would not have lived beyond the age of 55. And he was in his 30s. At most, maybe early 40s. But I think he was in his 30s. Why? He said, because I called you to be a prophet. But you have refused to do the work of a prophet. You are a prophet and a teacher. You are teaching alone. You are not doing the work of a prophet. So for preachers, bear it in mind. You have to pray. There's no, there's no substitute for praying, taking time out to seek the face of the Lord. And knowing that is not yours, don't operate it. The one that is yours, operate it. I hope you're getting my point. 
Stop relating visions that God didn't give you. You know, if you close your eyes tight, you will see things. You know that? So one brother comes one day, he, he, he shares his revelation and his vision. You're now feeling inferior because you don't have revelation, you don't have vision. So next time you are preaching, you do like this. When you squeeze your eye well, you see lines. I begin to see lines. Are there lines inside here? Forget that nonsense. Oh boy. If God gave you the anointing to teach the word, teach the word and get out from there. And let the prophet come and prophesy. You are not, are you Jesus Christ? Only you. You are part of the body. Some people even become administrators. They are no longer pastoring. You know, there's a difference between being a pastor and being an administrator. The administration job has taken all the time. They are anointed to pastor and give people the word of truth has left them. This life, eh, this 24 hours is not plenty. I have found that it's not plenty. There are not too many things you can do with it. Though. One day I heard a man preach. I felt sorry for him. They said that somebody quoted for him. They were trying to encourage other ministers. Somebody quoted for him that I would not depart him from the ministry of the word and from prayer to start seven tables. You know the answer he gave? That Paul and co did not have to answer to the tax man. I don't know what I get what I say. That there are laws now they did not have to deal with. So now he has to pay attention. He started quoting this man went to jail because of this. So now he takes time out to do accounting. I say, oh, bro. Instead of him to say, let's be wise. Get a trusted accountant. And then give you a summary periodically. Get a chartered accountant, a, a, a chartered, what they call, an accounting firm. So they will take the responsibility if anything goes wrong. He said, no, that Paul and Co didn't have to deal with this. So, so now we have to, do you get my point? I said, no, now. If you are still a, an apostle, a pastor, it's your primary assignment is what? Prayer and the ministry of the word. The Lord is good. How did I get into that? I know what I was, I wanted to know whether you, <laughs> why you know, I was giving preachers. Yes, the deadly sins that they may get involved in. So stay in your lane. Use your anointing, but use only that one. Don't neglect it. There's a gift of God in you. Don't neglect it. Every child of God, pay attention to what I have said. God has a gift in your life. You have three stages in life, all right? Like they said. Okay, let me not mention the three stages. I, I remember, but let me not just confuse about it. The early stage you are learning. But please, know that after learning, a time comes in which you are giving. Make sure your gift is activated so that you are busy giving, using the gift. Don't leave it. Don't let it lie dormant. Again, let me get back to this issue of uh, Issachar and the land that is pleasant. If the pleasant land will not let you exercise your gift, please go to the difficult land. Did you hear what I said? If the pleasant land will not let you exercise your gift, go to the difficult land. Because one day you will give account to, you know I've been saying these things. Don't let, you know comfort can numb you. That is, a, that is your, senses, your senses are deadened. You know Jesus warned about it. People can be deadened by the comfort around them. You are deadened. So that day passes, like Jesus Christ said, like a thief. And you too are also caught like that. Why? Because the things around have deadened your sensitivity. Don't let comfort deaden your, you know, you know, take away your gift from you. Occasionally, when you have trouble in life, in fact, you should be happy. Opportunity to pray. 
You have not been sick in three years. So you've forgotten all the healing scriptures. You know, small malaria is good for you. Small migraine. I'm telling you, it's very good. It's very, very good. It will wake you up. So you strengthen your faith. Because sometimes this one that you have nothing has gone wrong in the last three years. It's not because your faith is great. It's God is just looking at you, showing you mercy. So when the trouble will come, don't panic. Go and pray. What did I say? Don't panic. Don't panic. Go and pray. Don't panic. They say dollar hit one thousand something. And you are now you are now running around like a chicken that they cut the head. Don't panic. I said that on Tuesday. What do you do? You go and pray. You go and pray. There's wisdom that God has kept for you. Don't panic. It's very important. The Lord is good. So that's what we're just talking about. So preachers, mind yourself, like we'll say. Be careful. Yeah. So when we're activating the blessing, separating light from darkness, number one, righteousness, we've talked about that. Like I said, Satan uses that to try and trap us. That's why I went into the issue of, don't scare me. Give me a word of correction. If anything you say to me, it's supposed to scare people, it turns me to pray. So go and be sure that I've removed all these things I've explained now out of my life. All right? Please, that's very important. And number two, we say, you do what? Walk by faith. Walk by faith. Interpret your life only according to the word of God. By faith, we understand. Without faith, we have no understanding. And then third, be what? A cheerful giver. Let me talk about that faith further before I switch into that cheerful giving. You know what faith means? Faith simply means that even though I am broke, I will still tell you I'm rich. I hope you get my point. Why? I'm speaking according to what is written. That's what faith means. What does it mean to be a cheerful giver? Let's talk about that. Actually, that's why I read that scripture I read today. You are blessed to be what? A blessing. So, if you are walking by faith, never forget it. And that you will understand that in your life now. When we talk about cheerful giving, please read my book, Grace to Prosper. And in it, I explain, because the Bible says that God loves what? A cheerful giver. Now, first, what does it mean for God to love somebody or something? Let's remind ourselves of a few facts. When you say God loves, it's not the same way as when human beings love. Now, it's supposed to be, we are supposed to learn the ways of God. Amen? Amen. What I mean is that when God loves, we are to love the way God loves. Is that okay? But the natural man loves differently. How does the natural man love? If, a man, if, I, tell, if I were to tell you now, man, I just th- think of one car. Just think of one car for me. Those of you who know cars. Okay. No, no car. Okay. This guy loves a rose rice. All right? So, if I tell you I, I love a rose rice, what does that tell you? You want to have one. Thank you very much, all right? I want to have one. That's what a man means when he loves something. Is that okay? Good. Now, but when God loves a rose rice, you know what he means? He wants to make one. Did you hear that? Yes. If God says, I love rose rice, it means I want to pick one. I want to polish it. I want to change the tires. I want to fix it very well. So that whoever enters into it will have the ultimate comfort. That's the meaning of God loving if I tell you I love a Mercedes-Benz, I want to buy one. I want to own one. I want to drive one. I want to use one. I want to consume it. You are getting what I'm saying? But if God says he loves, there's just one thing he wants to do. He wants to impart 
a blessing to that object. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He gave. God's love is giving. I hope you're getting my point. He gave. Now, so God loves a cheerful giver. What does that tell you? What does it mean? If I say God loves a cheerful giver, what does that mean? Hmm? God blesses a cheerful giver. Thank you. God imparts a blessing into the life of a cheerful giver. God gives to a cheerful giver. Bear that in mind. So what is a cheerful giver? I discussed in that book extensively. Now, what I want to bring out today is for us to realize that cheerful giving is not just the release of money. It's part of it. But to be a cheerful giver means you understand that I have been blessed to be a blessing. And that everywhere I go in life, I must be a blessing. That I'm not satisfied except I know I am blessing somebody. A cheerful giver is not somebody that dances at the altar. Abraham's, you know, the, you know the way me I even operate. And a lot of people have influenced that like that too. You know, this one of uh, making you give by force, by making it come to the front. Me, I don't believe it. If you don't want to give, my attitude is what? Don't. The supplies that God will give us they do not depend on you. I hope you get my point. It depends on him. And I'm convinced one way, good enough money eh, is different from other things. One way or the other, God will bring it. I hope you get my point. If he has to make one willing person become ten times richer than he initially planned, fine. So I don't believe in pressuring people. I don't believe in, you know, making people uncomfortable so that they will give money. You know why? They will not be blessed like that. They will not be blessed. Once you give under compulsion, you will not be blessed. If somebody says, ah, 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 eh, Bremeka, so how much are you giving? How much are you giving in church? And you stand up. Hey, oh, your wife says, oh. You know, it's 10,000 I wanted to give. Tina has made me stand up. I have to announce it. And I say, 50,000 naira, sir. 40,000 has been stolen. Because it's 10,000 you propose in your heart. Abby, that's what I'm collecting. The 40 was pressured out of you. It's good, though. They will use it, though. But I am not blessing you back for it at all. Why? You gave under what? Compulsion. Let me not lie to you. It can be hard to resist under such circumstances. I hope I get my point. It's fact. But just know, as you are not resisting, between you and the guy putting under pressure, you are wasting God's money. I hope you're following my point. So, I want to know that to let him that I don't believe in pressuring people. A cheerful giver is a believer who understands that I'm supposed to be a blessing. I won't say much more than that today. But just bear it in mind. If you don't have that attitude in life as a Christian, the abundance that God has prepared for you, you are not likely to see much of it. Now, I'm not talking about just giving an offering in church now. I hope you get my point. I'm talking about what? A whole life. A life attitude. That is, let me give you an example. You, 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 somebody wants to hire you to do a, a job. If your focus is on how much will I get out of him, you will never be blessed. I'm not saying you should not be paid for your services. Do you get my point? But if your focus is on how much will I get out of so you're just trying your best to get as much as possible. You know, I was discussing with some people recently. I, what led to it? Yes. Who was I talking with? I think it was my wife. The one that's most painful that even doctors do it. I know doctors have to do with human health. Do you understand? And I say, why? Do you know they, some, some, I'm not saying all, some will give you treatment you don't need so that I can collect your money. 
It's a common thing. It's a common thing. That's why I told you before you go to hospital. First go to the corner of your house where you pray. Did you hear what I said? Because some people as you are approaching, you know what they are saying? Money. Customer. Thank you. They're not seeing a sick person. They are seeing a customer. I was working in one clinic long ago. I got to work one day. Well, a, a car drove in, a young girl, maybe about, maybe about 18 or so, 17 there about, yes, a young lady came in with her brother. Those ones brought her this. She went to pack her bag for admission. So I was one that, because I resumed to take the night shift. So she had to see me. So I came in. I checked everything, what was wrong with her and everything. And I saw the paper that said she should be admitted. So I looked at the young lady. What do you say was wrong with you? She told me. At the end of the day. I, could, I didn't get, and the, because the other doctor didn't leave instructions for me. So finally I said, well, I don't think, I, I think you can go back home. There's no need. You can go back home. I just wrote some prescriptions. Take this drug, take this drug, take this drug, and then come back in two days. Let's see how you are doing. Of course, she was so happy. Who wants to stay in hospital now? No, but she was so happy. She was so happy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. She and her brothers entered the car again and went back home. So the other doctor came next morning and came to me and said, ah, I heard you discharged our salary. I said, what? He said, no, no. That, don't you know the end of the month is coming? You were going to admit a young woman that there's nothing was wrong with her? Because it's the end of the month? But like, what? What did you say? No. <laughs> I'm t- now, what I've told you is not unusual. In fact, <laughs> I was, was I gisting? It was my wife too. It was that one. This one is a joke. This one is a very funny one. This one is not a very terrible one. When I was doing my house job those days, I worked in the government hospital, the state government hospital, state specialist hospital in that, in that city. So, now there's something about being the big hospital in town. A lot of junk cases are dropped on you guys. What do I mean by junk cases? Private hospital, we had an enemy meeting one day in which one private hospital owner told us that, please, we should not be thinking that they are stupid. That many of the people they refer to us is because the people will not pay them, they are their relatives. Sometimes you get a referral, you're like, why is this being referred? You mean this hospital couldn't handle this matter? So you're, we were young doctors now, so my big guy will be looking. So the guy came to explain that, please, there are many reasons we refer patients to. Now, some of them, you don't want village people's wahala. So you just write a referral, let them go to the big government establishment, okay? Now, but another reason why people refer cases is that they know the case cannot be handled by anybody. So they refer them to our, our, the big government hospital. So go and basically die there. Because it's bad for their own optics, for their own reputation if you died in their own hospital. So they do that all the time. So what ha- And then we've been the big hospital in town, had nowhere to send anybody to. And of course, even if we had, we, we, won't, we won't do that one of go there, they won't do anything for you, you probably will lose your relative there. We don't do that. I mean, we are the big, we are the big one in town. So, so there was this particular period. We lost a lot of patients. They're all complicated cases. Severe case of diabetes, severe case of kidney disease, all kinds of things. One of my guys came and said, Banky, this is not good though. He said, you know what? Next clinic will admit everybody. I said, why? He said, just watch. This guy now worry guy. <laughs> clinic, he's sitting down like this. Tell him you have a headache. He thinks you have malaria. I'll send you for admission. He checks you, you are coughing, you are coughing. He checks, he thinks you have pneumonia. Admission. 
The guy loaded the ward full of people. I said, why? He said, so you will see healthy people to discharge. <laughs> he said, which kind of alarm is this one? Every time, that, people, this one, it don't die. This one, it don't die. He said, ah, is that the little we are doing here? He said, let's <laughs> Honestly, I came to work one day. The place was full. Ah, he, said, he told me now. The injection you'll be coming from your house to take in the hospital. The guy will keep you on the ward, give you for three days. The third day, he knew you would get well. The third day, will check you. Say, ah, you tell your guy, ah, he's doing very well. Your guy will say discharge. Your guy will come to work one day. Say, what is going on here? What is this place for? The guy won't say anything. You're just smiling. Now, where I'm going, people do things for different reasons. This man said, we need to improve our reputation. That people just don't come here to die. People come here, we treat them, and they live home. They live for home, alive and well. So that's why I said, that one is not so bad. <laughs> I'm not saying it's good, but it's not like, of course, we were not getting anything for him personally. It was, it was a government hospital, so he wasn't getting anything. Nothing. He's not getting anything. In fact, it's extra work. <laughs> but, but some other people, they do all of this. Just because of money. I use the doctor's one as an example because it's very painful for me. Because I feel like when it gets to health matter, I shouldn't play games. It's people's lives you are dealing with. But let's leave the doctor out. Every other person does it too. Some people will trap you. You say, ah, this is your house. We can paint it for 300,000. He knows it's a lie. He knows if you don't come with one million, that thing will not finish. But if he tells you one million, you know what will happen? You say, I don't have money. So he tells you to bring 300,000, but you just bring 150 first. Halfway through, ah, Oga, things don't go up. Things were up before they started. <laughs> what am I going to say? All these things, that, listen, is wickedness. Let's call, you see, if you call it the proper name, we will stop. It's wickedness. You are supposed to be a blessing. You know, if God, see, let me tell you something about God there. How can a young man keep his way pure? How? Keeping it, taking heed to the word of God, right? Now there's a key there. The only way to be safe in life is to obey God. This world will always try and deceive you. Let me give you an example. Say, how do you, how, the world will teach you how to make money. I hope you get my point. But they will end up sending you into a trap. But God may not tell you this is how to make money. He will say, this is how to do what is right. If you do what is right, you will find prosperity. I hope you're getting my point. This is where I'm going. What I've said now is, is like I say, it's counterintuitive. It's not what the normal person would want to do. That I say, you go out to go and let, let's take this house issue as an example. And you tell somebody, flat, sir, this building, for us to paint it, you will need about 1.1 million naira. You know he may, for that reason, not start it. Say so we'll see what we can do to make it come lower than that. But prepare 1.1 million so that we'll be able to start. But then, so that inflation will not affect us, make sure that everything's ready within five weeks, as an example. Now, the other guys will tell you that, no, what you do is that you lie to them to start. And then you now keep on, you now put them under pressure. But the person who does what I'm saying, He's doing it simply because it is right. He knows they may end up not patronizing him or things may not, they may not start a business. But God says, don't worry about it. Just tell them the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I will bless you my own way. That if I'm running a clinic, somebody comes, 
30 person flat, my consultation is so so and so amount. Then after that, I won't do anything that is not in your best interest. Any money I'm charging you, I will let you know this is money for my services. There is nothing, if you don't need a surgery, I will not prescribe it. So people are so, let me not even go into that area. If you don't need a surgery, I will not prescribe it. If you don't need admission, I will not ask for it. Everything that we do will be in your best interest. That is what it means to be a cheerful giver. That is, I will strategize in such a way that your interest is first in whatever we are doing. After all, you are my customer. You are my client. See, let me as a believer, eh, you should aim to have this, I don't want to use the word reputation now. Okay, this is known about you. That anything, they, if people commit themselves to you, you will treat them in the best way possible for their best interest. Now, I'm not saying everybody will be nice, but let it just be that that is what you are known for. Sometimes it will cost you money. Sometimes it will cost you, they will think, people will give you the impression that it's because you are doing like that's why you are not getting this kind of um, you know, income. Don't worry about it. But a good name, the Bible says, is what? It's better than silver and gold. It's better than everything. It's better than money. That is, even if you don't make money, make a good name. Let it be said that who's asked you to do that, they mention your name. Ah, said no. It must be the right thing. And if it ends up being wrong, it was a sincere error. That's what it means to be what? A cheerful giver. I'm talking about being a cheerful giver. Most Christians think that after I've gone to steal money, if I give out of it, I'm a cheerful giver. No. It means you give every way possible. It means everywhere you go, you live there with a good name that you are a positive impact. Like now, I was saying, if you're rendering services, I'm not saying don't charge for your services. The Bible says a laborer is worthy of his wages. So you are worthy of your wages. But in the midst of charging for your services, you will ensure that whatever you are doing for anybody, your primary thing in your heart is that how can I be a blessing to this person? There are times somebody wants to pardon a service. Hey, look, oh God, please. I think this may be too expensive for this reason, this reason, that reason. Let's see how we can work around it to make it cheaper for you. Remember I said life is about what? Sacrifices. Sometimes you actually will make the sacrifice. Say, sir, if we do this one, I make more money. But from what you have told me, that would not be very nice. Let us do this other one. I will end less. We normally charge lower for this. But I think it's the best for you at this particular point in time. That's what it means to be cheerfully given. It's not every business. You, I mean, like, if you don't see an impact you can make even in business, don't bother doing it. See, most people have made heavy impacts in business. Eh? It's because they saw a, 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 which word do I use now? I want a word different from need now. They saw a, a deficiency, yes. In a way, okay, let me take, give an example. Henry Ford, please read his book, My Life and Works, a good book. Henry Ford, when he started his business, he said that the success, years later, he said the success of the Ford Motor Company is not about the machine that bears the name Ford, that is those cars. He said, for him, it's about proving that what I've been telling people to do was the right thing. What was his own reason? He said, if I make a machine, your name is not on it. Even though you bought it, it's my name. 
Until now, his cars are there. What do you find on the car? Ford. Ford is not your name. Ford is my name. So if the car breaks down, my name is at stake, not yours. So what is the principle? I will make cars that don't break down. Then I will put service centers everywhere so that if they were to break down, you have a place to go. And because I'm so confident that they won't break down, for the first year, every breakdown is on me. He said that was not how people did things before him. Their own is that, let it not, and right now they are doing it again. They make things that we break down and you will now need them. Yeah, people have gone to the old ways. Flesh will always crop, it will crop up at the point in time. I, I was listening to mechanics talk about it on you know, YouTube. That this is, it's called plant obsolescence. There was a time, electric bulbs, no electric bulbs. The electric bulb companies in the world formed a cartel and told themselves, if your bulb lasts more than a thousand hours, we'll find you. Even though they could make it to last 10,000. Yes. So they made bulbs that were born after a while. Why? So they can sell more. They did. You can go, this has really happened. All the big companies, Philips, Osram, all of them, they came together and find themselves for making high quality bulbs that were not selling again. Because they make good quality bulbs, people will not change them. Why? They were not born. So they went, oh God, they did reverse engineering. Engineered the bulbs to born at a certain time. I've forgotten the exact number of hours. And they used to test and find themselves if your bulbs last too long. Can you believe that people did that? And they are doing it till today. Uh, let me not mention names. There are some phone companies. That's what they do. That's why I never used to use their phone. They make good quality phones. I know that. And you buy it. After two years, you are still using it. Go and sell it buy another one. And they will make you do it. They, they will put so. Let me not even start that one. Now, I'm instructing Christians. God said, never do that. If you make bulbs that the whole world will buy once and they will never buy again, then make it. I will give you something else to make. I will bless you another way. What does it mean to be a cheerful giver? See, remember I said that we have been blessed to be what? A blessing. And if you want to activate that thing in your life, you must follow these three, three principles I've said. Number one, follow hard after righteousness. Hard. Somebody forgets money with you, keep it for him. Don't lie to anybody on anything. Don't cheat anybody. Don't inflate contracts. Don't demand bribes. Don't extort money from anybody. Tell the truth, the whole truth. Follow hard after it. Live by faith. Live by faith. What is faith? Align the word of God to guide you. What is faith? Trusting everything that God has said. What is faith? Taking the scriptures as the standard of your life, and that's the final thing about anything, what God has spoken. And then I said number three, be what? A cheerful giver. What is a cheerful giver? Somebody who goes around, and everything I do, I want to be a blessing to somebody. Like I said, a laborer is worthy of his wages. I'm not saying don't charge for your services. You know, sometimes, I used to make a joke about this, but of course, truth anyway. If I were to run the restaurant as an example, you know, there are restaurants that used to annoy me. You know, you go there, eat, then as soon as you go out, you go and be looking for snacks to use to fill your stomach. No, I think that's wickedness. One day I went to a particular, a friend of mine came to pick my wife and I up from somewhere in Lagos. Said we should come to his house. So he wanted to take us to his house. So on the way he said that his wife wasn't around so that he really couldn't get us anything to eat. So he said, can we buy food 
on the way. So he entered a fast food joint. So he wanted to eat chips and chicken. So the lady asked, do you want a big portion or a small portion? So I looked. I wasn't sure whether it was big or small. So I reasoned that. Mm. So finally, we asked for a big portion each. So she gave us a big portion. I was looking like, what if I asked for a small portion? <laughs> When I saw what they served and called big portion, I said, you people are wicked. They opened all over the country that time. They no go here. They shut down after a short while because of their wickedness. Of course, I, had, I said, do you call this big portion? Like I said to people, I said, look, why don't you charge us extra? But let's leave that place satisfied. There are some very successful restaurants around. I was in one of them in Abuja recently. I don't know how much they charge it, but one thing that those guys ensure is that if you finish our food, you must be a big eater. Oh, yes. They will fill you to the brim. If you are hungry, don't worry. Just come. Order one normal portion. If you can finish it, you win a price. Now, I'm the one that adding that one to it. Yeah, I see them serve people. I mean, I, I was there, eat their food. They will fill you up. My own principle is simple. Charge me whatever you have to, okay? But please, fill me up. But you know, nobody's, how many times have you gone to a restaurant you ask for seven around? Nobody asks for second. Whether it's good or small, they will go and they will read the restaurant and give me gala there. You get it. You do, and I said, why should somebody leave your restaurant? And he goes outside and he's trying to buy snacks to fill up. I think it's inappropriate. That, that one I was telling you about the big portion of people that gave me the few strands of chips. They shut down after a while. Most of their brands, they shut down. They will shut down. The major ones survived. But next time we went there, they had learned the lesson of God. Oh, they had learned. And they had, they had learned. I said, okay, you finally woke up. We'll have you, we'll have you, you know, let me tell you something. When people are leaving you and they're angry with you, they are leaving a curse behind them. Did you hear what I said? Yes. If will leave you with grumbling in their hearts, you know what they are doing? They are leaving small, small curses behind. One day you won't know why your restaurant will just catch fire at night. You won't know. Nobody's there. It's all the God punish them. God punish them. All, of you, all those of you that sell fake products. See, let me tell you, your house in the village you born. You see... See, it's not a prayer. It's a fact. You go to the market, you stock your shop with fake products, you sell it. You now make a lot of money. You go and build a house in the village. Let me just guarantee you, it will burn. When God wants to show you mess, you know what he will do? It will burn on Sunday around 11. All of you went to church. Your church closes by 12. It won't burn at night. It won't let your children be injured. But that it will burn, just know that I told you ahead. And if you're born for a stupid reason, a, 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 no, one of them will be connected with the only strip of one meter fake wire that you also bought. So that you will know. Yeah, it's true. All the wire in the house will be good because you are very careful. Then just, they say, okay, bring 20 meters. So they brought 20, but somebody caught one wrongly. So one guy will just run down the road and buy one meter to fill up. That's where it is born from. It is God telling you that iniquity does not pay. Those people are, if you sell fake drugs, that one, I don't want to tell you what will happen to you, but I will tell you so that you will stop. Your children are the ones that will suffer that one. Those of you who sell fake drugs, just don't have children. Try. No, try, try. Because you sell fake drugs, you are a murderer. 
The curse of the Lord is in your house down to the 10th generation. You sell fake drugs? I think the only one of your children that will prosper has to change his name. Anybody carrying that your name is odious. You know something is odious? It's smelly. You sell fake drugs? Somebody is sick in hospital. They say buy antibiotics. They buy no biotics. Because you sold it to them. And somebody now dies and you think you will enjoy that money. How can? In fact, it will be a blessing if you suffer on the earth. Because if you don't, God has to send you to hellfire. He has to. Otherwise, it wouldn't be just. I don't understand how evil human beings can be that you'll be sending fake drugs. In case you did not know, fake drugs kill people. Some people carry drugs that has expired. Go and relabel it. Those who made it said, look, it was manufactured 2020. It expired 2022 December. Then you go and buy it and go and relabel and sell it again. Anyway, let me just tell you the easy one that God will do for you. Is that you eat fake food. Yeah. Every day you eat, you will get diarrhea. And that's God being merciful, hoping you will notice. They will sell you moto that has 300,000 miles on it. You think it's only 30,000 miles. They will remove zero. <laughs> Your engine will knock on the highway. Do you get my friend? You won't know. And then God will be waiting for what you will say. If you open your mouth and curse the person that sold you the car, you've just activated all the curses in your own life. You know, sometimes, eh, when I preach like this, you know why I preach like this? Because I found that Christians do some of these things. Otherwise, if I wouldn't have bought what was my own way to pay with unbelievers? I found that even Christians get involved in some of this nonsense. You know something is bad? He said, because that's how I bought it. Then throw it away. You lost money. Must you transfer your loss to me? Please, don't, let's not think. This is, they are not jokes. It's one reason why there's so much problems everywhere. We should never be, the, be a part of the problems in the society. Let me say it again. Those of you selling fake products. See, whether you say yes or no or amen or not, your house in the village Wherever you have a house, it's burning. And if you now sell fake drugs, what God will do to you, I don't want to say from this pulpit. Because he will do you, oh God, he will do you strong thing. My God in heaven, he will do you strong thing. You will have a disease that good, pure, pure drug can cure. All those people that suffered because of the fake drugs you sold to them, their punishment is heaped upon you alone. Come on, why don't you go and sell fake grass? In fact, do you know you would do better selling a book? No, no, no. Honestly, if you are selling a weed, you know what they call weed? Mukuye. Yeah. You know, God will just look at you say, you and those who are buying, you're all, you're all crazy people, so go. He does, because nobody is coming to you trusting you. They came to buy weed. And you sold them weed. And if it's fake weed, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> the only problem you have is NDLA. NDLA may arrest you and put you in jail. Then you go to prison for a few years. You come out to sell more weed. It's not, 
<laughs> Honestly, you all look at themselves. Okay, why are you making noise? After all, in Netherlands, this is normal. NDLA will come and say, okay, why are you being backward? Let's go to Europe. This is on the street. One of my friends said, he walked down the street in Canada. That he, he got high. He doesn't smoke. Oh. He said, he just walked down the street. By breathing normal air, at the end of the street, he was high. <laughs> One of my classmates he sent us a picture from Netherlands. He said, I've never, this guy grew up in Delta State. He said, I've never smelled this amount of <laughs> weed in my life. Just walking down the street. So we said, yeah, he said, no wonder you've been talking nonsense. She'll have told us where you were. Inhaling this <laughs> in the air. Honestly, instead of fake, selling fake drugs, please, I'm begging you, go and sell weed. If you can't sell it in Nigeria, go to Netherlands. All right? It's legal. Because those who come to you, you all know each other. There's no trust. But then, for you to sell a drug that's meant to be used to kill somebody and it is fake, sorry, your judgment is, is, is serious. Why did I say this today? If for any reason you've been getting involved in this, you have to emergency repent. Your repentance must be an emergency. Yes. It must, I don't know how God is going to handle your repentance. What you need to do, I'm not going to discuss about that. But just know it is an emergency. Your judgment is worse if you're a believer. Because you're supposed to have more righteousness in you than that. I hope you're getting my point. Let me end it there. What have I said today? People of God, we activate prosperity in our lives because we have been blessed. But then to separate our light from our darkness... We must activate these things, especially the first one I said in that you go, you follow hard after righteousness. And this last one I just added because they, all of them are part of the manifestation of what? Of faith. That is, you make sure that you are always what? A blessing. That's what it means to be a cheerful giver. Be a cheerful giver. Later on I'll talk about money also. When it comes to money also, just be a cheerful giver. Just make sure that everywhere you go, you are dropping the blessing of God. Because indeed, Whatever a man sows in that regard, that also he shall reap. Let's bow down our heads and give the Lord thanks for the word that he has given us today. Let's just give the Lord thanks.